Well, welcome to How to Build a Village. I am so pleased to be joined by Alison Zimmerman, who has been living in Europe for more than half of her life and has also worked in more than five countries. And I'm so intrigued to talk to you, Alison, about your experience living outside of your home country for so long, and also how meditation has helped you through your life. So when did you first move outside your home country of the U.S., and, and what led you to make that move? I rarely think about this. It's strange, but lately this has been coming up when I've been talking with companies, and they ask, what, why did you move so much, and also what inspired you? And for me, it started when I was 14 years old. I knew I grew up in a small town in Minnesota, very small, like 2,000 people. And I knew at 14 that I would be living in Europe, but I didn't know where. I didn't know how I would be able to, to get to Europe other than a, a plane. I didn't know what I would be doing. So I started to learn German at 15 because I figured I could cover three countries that, you know, of, in Europe. It's a very strange story. So all through my education into college, I kept German. And I was often questioned, why, why? And I chose German because of a number of countries. And then I ended up moving to Germany, ended up marrying a German. And then it just took off from there. And I ended up living in all three countries, German-speaking countries, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, and Scotland as well after that. And, and my home, though, is Switzerland. So what inspired me was really this deep desire um, that I, to this day, I cannot fully understand. But I think there's a saying that at age 11, children will know what they want to do unconsciously. They will be they will have an interest or, and mine was purely travel. And people who knew me then, they remember me talking about it. They remember when I was 16 saying, I'm going to live overseas. And I, I, they remember that. I wish I could predict the lotto, but you know, no luck. <laughs> Talk to me about um, how you, how you met your husband and how you ended up living uh, first in Scotland and then in Switzerland? Yeah, actually first in Germany was where, and I, I met my husband in French class because I took French. I realized I have no ability to speak French. I took it in, at the university in Minnesota. I decided maybe I need another language. So I tried learning it and yeah, it was, it is not my gift. <laughs> I met my husband there and what was really interesting was I already, I had already been to Germany when I met him and people tried to introduce us and, and then we just ended up meeting on our own. We canceled the same German history class and went into a French class. We both in the same week and ended up meeting each other there. So when people tried to introduce us, they thought that we were in the same class in the German history. So we met on our own. Um, and now we've been together 27 years or married 20, almost 27. But that's a lot of information. When I think about what brought me to Germany was not only the fact I had studied it for eight years, German, 
was also seven and a half years. I met my husband at the end of my studies, the very last semesters, and we ended up marrying in Germany, but I moved to Germany illegally. And so I, I was um, an illegal immigrant and I was so naive. I had no idea that you couldn't move to Germany. You know, I just thought you fall in love, you can move to the country. And this is, let's be honest, is 30 years ago. But because I spoke German, I remember going in to get my residence permit and they're like, you shouldn't even be here. And I said, well, I want to apply for it. And because I could talk to them in German, they were like, okay, we're going to let her stay. And they gave me a residence permit and then I got a work permit and I did jobs that probably people wouldn't do. Uh, like, that were, like I washed hair in a hair salon. Mm-hmm. I needed to, I had no income. I had a university degree, but I couldn't speak the language to a point that I could work with that degree or I could work in the area that I wanted to. Um, even customer service was difficult. Um, it was not a proud parent, proud parent moment that I was doing that and I got a lot of flack. I think the only person who was proud of me was my husband. He was like, I'm so proud of you. You're like trying to really master this language. Um, But to this day, it's probably a job I'm most proud of that I did because it gave me a lot of empathy. Um, And to stay in Germany, I'm very grateful to the Germans that they let me stay. And they had a massive impact on my life by allowing me to stay because my life could have taken a whole different direction. But what I learned from that experience, and it wasn't, I don't think I was completely conscious of this at the time, but it, I remember that when I had to go through what an illegal immigrant goes through, I had to get an AIDS test. I had to go and make sure that I was healthy. I had to prove, I had to do a number of things that I think people don't usually have to go through. Mm -hmm. And I remember realizing that I was the only white person um, that had to go through this and realizing suddenly I was faced with my privilege of, you know, the fact that I noticed it But the fact that it wasn't lost on me, that I was probably able to stay in the country because I also looked German, if you know what I mean. Mm. And and that's not to say anything negative about Germany, Mm. but it's just in general, it was the first experience I had seen my privilege um, from the color of my skin that I probably would have never experienced before. And how has that stayed with you over the years? Yeah, you know, I work in the space of diversity and inclusion. I would say I'm much more conscious of it now than, than many years. But for me, that experience and even that job experience really showed me that, you know, I can, I can do, I can work in many areas. And, and if I have to, I can do whatever I need to do to survive. In a, it sounds very dramatic to say that, but the experience of being that Ill- illegal immigrant and the fact that I could stay um, and the privilege that I had, that's just shaped a lot of the work I'm doing now on diversity and inclusion. How could it not? I didn't talk a lot about it initially because I wasn't conscious of it. But then when I reflected back, I was like, yes, you know, I remember that. I remember that experience. 
but when you're young, you just do what you have to do. And for me, um, I'm very proud of that time. Even being an illegal immigrant, I'm very proud that at you know 22, 23, I had the I had the courage to try something. And even when I realized it could be difficult to do what I needed to do to make it work. Mm. And how did you and your husband first meet? We met at we met in school, and then we met also. Um, we were introduced by others to mm. kind of can put us you know, together. We did not meet that way. We ended up meeting um, on our own. And there's a longer story to it. I won't bore you with the details, but but it it was really serendipity. And I, I even hesitate to say that because I, before I met him, I ended up going to his hometown in Germany and saying, I love this town. I could live here. And it's a very small town in Göttingen in Germany. And I remember I even tried to stay there longer. And then, you know, a month after that experience, I met him and in the US and he was from that town. So there are a lot of little things, um, but we, we dated quite a bit. And then I moved to Germany to be with him. And how did you go about, so you had studied German in, in yeah. university, right? So is that, did that help you learn the language or is it really living there that made you fluent? I studied Oh, so I started, started German at 15 and I studied it in the university. Um, but I was extremely humbled when I got to Germany and I was in a Bavarian dialect too. I was in Munich and I couldn't speak a word and I couldn't understand. And I remember um, just being embarrassed. I think I was embarrassed. I thought maybe I just can't get this language down. And what I realized, though, is that I, I had to train my ear. And some people have a gift where they can really hear very well. Mm-hmm. I'm much more visual. So to learn a language, I need to see in my head in the beginning, obviously not when you're fluent, but I need to see the words. And so for me, when I was hearing, I couldn't in my head see the words. So it took a couple experiences where I you know, had to get a job, I had that I had to really ramp up my ability. But it was really one conversation with um, an advanced, in an advanced German course in Munich with a teacher who said to me, she pulled me aside. She said, you are just like my husband. And I said, how? She said, you have so much information there. You know this, but you're afraid to open your mouth to, because you're afraid you will look stupid. And she said, here's the thing. You look stupid if you don't open your mouth. <laughs> and so, and it was such a shock. And I'm, I'm, I just love that teacher. I learned so much in the short time I was, you know, taking classes from her at the beginning. And I just spoke to everybody after that. I, anybody who would talk to me and I got the job at a hair salon because I couldn't work in the language yet. And I, I washed hair and I like had them hostage because they had to speak with me. And so, and, and it was such a great experience. It's not one that I would necessarily recommend, uh, but for me, I, I just, I just have deep gratitude for that time and the people who took me in, in terms of helping me learn and who supported me when I, I didn't get it right. And, and when did you start meditating and when did that become a big part of your life? 
Oh, that, you know, I feel it sometimes I'm sure many listening have the same feeling. You feel like you've had many lifetimes in the, in the life. Um, for me, meditation came after I had a very surreal experience in my life. Um, I had a, 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 I, it's hard to explain, but I had a, um, physical healing on my body that, that by the hands of a healer, um, and I wasn't looking for a healer. It just happened. I mixed up the names and somebody recommended me to go to somebody and it turned out the person was a healer and I got the names wrong. Wow. Long story short, I had a physical healing on my spine where my spine straightened by 85 to 90%. I had um, scoliosis that was more visible mm. than I cared to admit. Mm. Um, it, and within two weeks of that experience, I had a number of teachers come into my life, a number of healers, visionaries. Um, and so that was in 2010. And from that time to 2020, I would say even, I would say even now, I've had a lot of teachers, meditation teachers come in. Um, in different forms of meditation. So I felt like I've had a lot of experts on meditation um, who come from it from different walks of life, different philosophies. Mm. Um, but I learned it from one of the people after I had that healing who was a master healer in the United States, um, who could help me understand what was happening and in experiences I was having and said to me, you need to meditate, you need to meditate. And so I so she taught me. And mm -hmm. from there, I've learned different ways of meditation, but um, it, it had a profound effect in its simplicity. Mm -hmm. And that for me was really, it was probably the first thing I've ever done that I really could stick with mm -hmm. over you know, 11 years on a daily basis to meditate for how long how so long started, did last? yeah I've been I've been meditating for 11 years for 20 minutes twice a day now I would say for the first four to five years I never missed a day I mean it was it was so inner it was such an inner pull it wasn't like somebody was telling me you should meditate but once I experienced the benefit of it it was just like whatever I'm doing, I need 20 minutes. And um, so for the first four to five years, I didn't even miss the second one. I could count on my hand the times I missed that second one on one hand. But when I got to the five-year part, you know, I'm a very curious person. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I learned this and maybe there's another way. And I ended up going and learning a technique, I almost identical technique, which was transcendental meditation. So I got almost the identical mantra that it was given by this other teacher. And then, um, but I paid a lot of money to get that. So, no, so it was kind of ironic. Um, but I learned that. And then I noticed that it was less rigid. I would still do it. Um, but they would say, you know, if you don't have a chance to do it, you can do it right before you go to sleep, which my first teacher was extremely rigid. It was like, you do, 
you do it at this time in between this time and you do it at this time between this time for the second. And I did that. And so I kind of loosened up on that rigidity a bit when I learned TM. Um, but the way I've always meditated um, consistently is with having a mantra. And a mantra, if anybody's listening, mm-hmm. it's usually given to you by a teacher. It's not something that you go out and Google. It's not a favorite sentence. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, uh, there are, I think, nine to 11 of them that you can use. And a teacher uh, usually gives it to you in a way that is in a very kind of formal way. Um, and I can only say if you want a mantra and if you can afford it, go get a mantra like through TM. It was identical to what I was given from another teacher who was very, who had done teaching meditation for 30 years. And TM is teaching. teaching. No, TM, good question. It's transcendental meditation, but I don't belong to any TM group. I'm not, for me, it was like, go in get the mantra and the mantra doesn't really have a meaning. It's not like, this is my mantra. A mantra is usually a one to two, maybe three syllable word. I don't know. I don't know all of them, but I know the ones that I've been given have been either one or two syllable words that goes back to the rishis or the, I I don't know the whole context. Mm. It's a sound that you make in your head. You don't make the sound. You just say the word in your head. So let's take an English word. Let's say a mantra would be apple, two syllables. Mm. So you sit down and you say the mantra over in your head. Like, so if I were quiet and I hear it in my head, I would hear it like apple, apple, apple. It would go like that. Mm-hmm. And it, in the beginning, and I would say this always happens. This isn't something that you do meditation 11 years and you don't have this happening. But in the beginning or in a stressful time or the time when your head is so full, it would sound like this. You would say apple. And then you'd be like, what am I going to have for dinner? Oh, wait, I got to go back to my mantra. Okay, apple, apple oh, I'm so tired. I'm kind of cold. I need a blanket. Oh, wait, go back to my mantra. Apple. It's as simple as falling off a log. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't sound simple, but if you get a mantra, all you do is say this word. You never repeat the mantra out loud to anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Even teachers will know they'll you don't mean repeat it to the teacher after they have you repeat it once or twice to them. Um, and it's your mantra. It's for you. It doesn't mean there's any specific significance to this word. Don't get lost in what it means. You, I've never heard my mantras. I've had two. I've never heard these words used in my life, but I, it's just easy. I just focus on this word. And then my thoughts are like clouds going across. Mm. I don't make them wrong. I don't judge myself. I just go, oh, I'm thinking back to the mantra or, oh, I'm really stressed back to the mantra or, oh, I can't stop thinking about work. Let me go back to the mantra. Mm. It took me a really long time to have an experience where I completely disappeared. And that's the power of that kind of technique. 
And it doesn't mean that everybody has that experience. It just means that when you first have that experience where you're suddenly like, wow, you, you experience the benefit of meditating, then it's self-driven. It's a self-pulling. It's not because somebody is more disciplined. It's because they found a technique that works. And what travels have you taken that have helped you with the meditation? I, so, you know, I have my day job and I, I oversee a region, an NGO, and, and I, when I had the experience of the spontaneous healing, mm. I, because I had different teachers come in, they weren't from Europe. Some were from Europe, some were from the U.S., that it, I was so drawn to go to any experts or any, anyone. So I, you know, a visionary, a woman, and now in her 80s was my first teacher. I would go to New Mexico, and I knew who she was because she had a lot of books and whatever, But she really taught me some lessons to this day that really helped me understand, you know, what I was experiencing and helped me understand something that I had never considered before um, in terms of I was, I would sometimes have a vision, for example. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would be given information, like both my parents, I've been given information when they would die. Um, my mom was nine months in advance. My dad was four months in advance. I guess just, um, so they. So I had these experiences before I started to meditate. Wow! And then when I took up yoga before I started to meditate, I would see energy around people after like three months of doing yoga, and I thought I had glaucoma. So I ended up going, that was a funny conversation. <laughs> I still to this day tell every eye doctor, I'm like, do I have glaucoma? Because I would have experiences. And so I had a lot of teachers that I would travel. I mean, I, I would go all over the world. And so you ask about travels, that inner travel, that inner journey is probably the most profound. It sounds so cliche. Hmm. I've definitely, I used to travel when I I was assisting a master healer, when I had the first experience, Hmm. who saw an ability that she felt, you know, I could be this big healer. And I, I don't know what she saw, honestly. Um, she used to comment on how strong my left brain was. I thought it was a compliment. It wasn't. It was that I, I was so in my thoughts. Um, <laughs> but I assisted her for several years. And, and she was in Los Angeles and I would go to events and a sister on stage or a sister behind the scenes. And then I walked away from that. And she's the one who taught me meditation. And I'm very grateful for that. Absolutely. But I found myself constantly walking away from all these teachers because I realized I was very hungry to understand very pragmatically and practically how can the individual improve their experience of life? How can they be healthy, happy, and whole that they don't have to run off to India or some guru or go wherever, but that they can create that heaven on earth in their, in their life right now without being religious when I say that term. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just about understanding the, the 
how can we be who we are, where we are with whatever we believe and be healthy, happy, and whole? And what does that mean? And so my journey to this day is still on that focus. And so the travels ended up bringing me back to me, to what is it that I'm doing? Where can, where is something that I can learn? Um, so meditation for me is the only consistent during all of this, that it's, it's for me like hitting the reset button. I can have a really stress, I have a very stressful job. I mean, I work with executives, sometimes have to speak with leaders. I work with different individuals and they're not always happy. I'll be honest, you know, we, we, when you talk about diversity and inclusion, it's a very emotional topic. Mm. And even if you come at it very pragmatically and practically, but I've learned that meditation is how I can reset my energy. I can just hit the button. It doesn't have to be woo-woo. It doesn't have to be long. Mm. It just has to be given back time to myself. And I'm sorry about your parents. How, oh, how did those? I'm very grateful for them. I mean, don't feel sorry. I mean, I'm grateful for that experience and later, but yeah. And how, how did the vision come, the visions come to you? It, so with my parents, it, it wasn't visions. Um, I had an, with my parents, and let me correct, I have had experience of visions. Okay. But that's not my, you know, I have moments, you know, when I started to meditate, that was one of the first outcomes. Mm-hmm. But what I had with my parents were prophetic dreams. Mm-hmm. And I had with 9-11, I had a prophetic dream where I was standing on two buildings. One, they were both on fire and I was being told to jump. And I had that experience. Um, this happened all before I learned meditation or even yoga. And mm-hmm. I couldn't make sense of the afternoon in Austria when I was living there, seeing the news of 9-11 and going, wait a minute, that's what I dreamt. And fortunately, mm-hmm. I told my husband that morning, I said, I have this deep sadness. I'm so happy in my life, but I have this deep sadness because I was shown in a dream that two buildings were on fire. And I just sat on the edge and started bawling. I just couldn't mm-hmm. stop crying in my dream. And I came out of it. And I said, it's so weird, but I have this this feeling. I knew to pay attention to dreams because before that 9-11, my mom became ill and I was shown that she would die and nine months before. And I thought, you know, everybody dreams death dreams. It doesn't mean somebody's going to die. So I didn't take it serious. I definitely told people, I told my dad and I said, oh, and this is what happened. And I had details. Mm. And then she wasn't ill. And then the, and then she got ill like nine months later. Um, and no, it was, it was nine months before she got ill that I had the dream. Mm. And then what happened was she was ill for two months. And the morning she died, a man came into the dream and said, it's time, go watch her. Oh, and the doctors and the nurses had no idea that she would die that day. And they later told me that they secretly thought it would be in three to six months, even though they gave her a year to live two mm. days before. But because of the dream, I could make sure my family could be there. 
I, I trusted it. Thank goodness. I got my twin sister. She had no vacation left. I got her there. I'm like, you just have to stay here today. I don't know why. And I didn't fully understand what time watcher meant. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't super conscious to me. I just knew that Thursday was really important, even though there was no sign of anything going to happen. And then when she passed away, I knew it was happening before it happened. And my family could be there and I could talk her through it. And it had a massive impact on my life. So I'm grateful to my mom for whatever reason, you know, I'm grateful for the time I had with her, but also I feel more connected to her from that experience because it opened a whole world to me that I couldn't understand. And before that, I was given, before she died, I was given dreams about her medication. And I would wake up in the morning and hear a booming voice say, Bumex. And it was like 15 of her meds. And I would go to her and I would say, not to her, but I'd go to her nurses and say, let me look at the meds. And I would look through 15 meds. And I was 30 at the time when this happened. And I remember cardiologist was visiting from another hospital because I'm in a very small town. And he was visiting the hospital where she was. And he pulled me out, he came out of the room and he said, look, I think something's wrong with Umex. And that was the same morning that, that, so what it did for me was it opened up a new world where I wanted to understand what I could not understand. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very practical person. I'm very pragmatic. And I'm very skeptical. That's another part, like not a, not a skeptical, like I don't believe people. That's not it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just very always going, everybody's cheering that on, but I feel something's off in me. I don't know why. That's where, you know, my skepticism will come in. So, so it, it, so that probably kicked off 10 years before I learned meditation. And then the meditation, people do it for different reasons. It doesn't have to be woo-woo. It doesn't have to be anything like out there. My husband meditates for now nine, 10 years. And for him, he works for a bank. And for him, he's like, I want to pick the best stocks. You know, I want, (laughs) he doesn't have any of the experiences that I have. And, and, but my goal is understanding that which cannot be seen. His is not, but the benefit he gets from meditation is that he will have ideas just pop into his head. And he's like, that's why I do it. And he's pretty easygoing. So for him, while he he has stress like everybody else, it's not to do it really to reduce stress. He just sees the advantage of ideas coming in or different ways. And so it helps his creativity at work. Um, And he probably would hate I'm talking about this, but he's very open about the meditation. So bring it back. Now, are, are there any groups or networks you've joined that help to facilitate meditation or is it very solitary? Because I, before COVID and before the pandemic, I travel a lot for my work. It was, I had a bit of an aversion to groups like meditating in groups, but I know the power of meditating in a group. It's just stronger. So it, I just say for people, if anybody wants to learn to meditate, is to just try different things. 
play with it, have fun with it. Don't put pressure on yourself to, there's no getting it right or wrong. If you can sit down and, and close your eyes and focus on your breath, you can meditate. Now, I don't do that kind of meditation, but that's as simple as it can be. If you don't want to get a mantra, but you want to focus on a word like OM, then that's a great way to use as a mantra if you don't want to go to a teacher and learn. But the group thing, it can be a really powerful way to have how I learned it was in a group setting, even though my mantra was very specific for me, the, the group was how I learned. So we would ask questions and it was really fun. And then we would, we would go, usually, if you, if you are going to a meditation teacher, they will in some way require you do it over a time. And it very much can be in a group because a lot of people want to learn. Absolutely do it that way because they will ask questions you're not thinking to ask and they, your questions will be answered that you didn't even think of. And you will ask questions that they didn't think. And it can be a really powerful technique. I could, you know, I, I, I have a model that I don't need to make anybody wrong or anything wrong to know what's right for me. So for me, my personal experience is the solitary is the best for me. But any time that I'm invited to do a group meditation, even from the, my home, I will always jump in and support if I can, my schedule allows, because I know that collectively when groups come together and meditate, it can be powerful. I'm just not one that wants to be part of a dogma or some part of a group. I just want to, you know, that's just not my style, but it doesn't mean it's not in a powerful way to learn. Some people like um, apps and that can be really powerful where like home, that app is very nice. Um, I've tried it out. It was lovely. Um, there, are, there are different really short meditations you can learn where you say a sentence like, I'm not my body. I'm not even my mind. You can do stuff like that where you do that for like seven minutes. I think that's called Isha Kriya. I'm not a teacher of that technique. I'm not even a meditation teacher, but there are different organizations that will teach this to you for free mm -hmm. there are different organizations that will charge you that uh, you know the mantra for sure best money spend for me personally but you know if you can't afford it, it they will work with you and in, in making it affordable so don't hesitate to ask if you're in between jobs or if you're struggling financially definitely share that and they will work with you because it should be available to everybody. And how did you go about finding one that was right for you? Well, because I had a teacher kind of impose it on me, like <laughs> you have to learn to meditate and, and it wasn't rigid, but the, when I learned it, I loved it. I'm like, sir, I wanted to do longer. She's like, no, only 20 minutes. You can do the next one in the afternoon, only 20 minutes. And and because I felt, I didn't feel like I didn't disappear or have any great experience. I, I just loved it. it. That was just self-driven at that point. Um, but to find when I went to TM, this was when I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a teacher at that moment. And 
I thought, well, I'm going to try out what I learned because I knew it was very TM-like, the meditation. And then I went to TM and you just look up transcendental meditation and you can find, um, find it. They're global. Um, it's not for everybody, let me be honest. And again, I don't belong to TM. I don't go to any group, TM groups. I don't sit and meditate. I just went there to get the mantra. And, and I had to go regularly, like for six weeks to sit and meditate with that teacher. So you have to find a teacher you like. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not be drawn to a mantra and that's okay. Find a teacher that, you know, I know people that meditate focusing on their breath and that's really powerful for them. I know people love guided meditations. For me, that didn't work because that, that's just a different form of meditation than I wanted um, because my brain would kick in. And I'd be thinking the whole time when I wanted one that could calm my thoughts and that could just, if, when I focused on something, it just made it easier. But I know people who get great advantages from, from mindfulness meditation, walking meditation, guided mm-hmm. meditation. Um, it's just such a broad term. It's so broad that I, it depends what you want out of it. If you want, if you had, I had experiences that I was very curious about mm-hmm. and that's why I needed to go much deeper into a meditation like the mantra based, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean one is better over the other. It just matters. What do you, what resonates with you as an individual and there are some amazing teachers out there that are willing to work with, with you if people want to learn. Uh, definitely look in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, speak. If you go to yoga Pilates or somewhere, ask people, ask teachers. If you don't know who to ask, you know, ask your friends, ask your family. I remember um, in an airplane flying to the Netherlands and I was sitting next to a lawyer who I could very well tell he was like the head person because the plane was filled with everybody coming to our, our chair and they were like talking with him and the way they were deferring to him. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were stuck on the tarmac because of a delay. And I said to him, you know, I don't want to be rude. I'm just putting my headphones because I just want to meditate. Mm-hmm. And I, I do use noise canceling headphones a lot to meditate. And he just lit up completely. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to talk about meditation. I said, okay. And he told me a story where he said, you know, my wife and my mother-in-law, they've meditated. My mother-in-law has worked as a healer. And it was kind of like very subdued, very quiet story. And he said, I took a whole group of leaders to India to study, to learn a meditation technique. I paid, you know, money for this guru to come in and sit to the, with them. He said, the amount of pushback I got from everybody about this, he said, it was massive. It was, they thought like I had done the worst thing by investing in this. He said, I knew this could help them. He said, you know what happened? He said, when this guy came in, some Shri, Shri, somebody, I have no idea who the person was. When he got in to do the meditation, the, the teacher said, 
five minutes. Just give me five minutes. I want you to close your eyes. Didn't give them any mantra. Didn't give them anything. And they closed their eyes. And he said, okay, open your eyes. And he said, that was one hour. You, and they, he said, I, you know, and he told me the story. He said, they could not believe it, that they spent an hour meditating. Wow. And that blew me away because yeah. I didn't have that experience. Like in the beginning, I could feel every minute, you know, in the beginning. And, um, and he said, then they kind of understood it. And he said something to me I never forgot because I shared a little bit more about my background and my experiences in life. And, and I took a risk in sharing that with him. Uh, but he said to me, he said, you know, people are hungry for meaning. People are hungry for, you know, the ability to just breathe. And now when we look at COVID, I say that and the meaning isn't lost on me now, but it, but he just said, people are hungry for this. They just don't know it, that they just need like just to hit the button to just stop the head from constantly chattering. So regardless of the technique, one bit of advice mm. I always say is whatever you do, when the thoughts come in, just see them as a cloud going past. See them as a cloud that, mm. you know, a thought will come in like, oh, I need to send that email. Mm. Okay. And just watch it. Don't make it right. Don't make it wrong. Don't judge yourself. Just watch it pass and then go back to whatever you were focusing on or go back just to being quiet, whatever you're doing. Maybe you're doing nothing and you have the ability to sit in that space without a mantra, without any guided meditation. Wonderful. Um, but just always just get distance from your thoughts as much as you can. And it's hard to do, but that to me is the essence of kind of that reset button, that meditation, is just giving yourself a little distance. You are not your thoughts. You, um, you are much more than that. You're not, you're not your job. You're not, you know, your value isn't even your mind, even if you have a wonderful mind. It's a gift, but, but the mind will rule you if you don't rule the mind. So the whole point of that, meditation for me in my opinion is to kind of quiet the mind but it's not that the goal is to I need to shut out my thoughts good luck if that's the goal good luck because it's very difficult to do that so make peace with the mind but realize that just because you have a thought doesn't mean you need to act on it just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's true and, and just, just letting it be the cloud that goes by and go back to whatever you're doing um, and, and just have fun with it. Honestly, we make it so serious, mm. but it, it, it can be really that one break you get in the day. Mm. What a wonderful image, a cloud going by that doesn't have to disrupt what you're doing. It doesn't have to define you either. It mm. doesn't have to define your experience. It's just a cloud. Well, that's um, that's such a great image to to end on. Thank thank you so much, Allison, for that sharing your experience and for also the lesson in meditation. 
Inka. Well, thank you for asking. And, and just thank you for the work you're doing in making connections and global connections in the global village. I love it. No, well, well, thanks a lot for sharing your story. Look forward to talking again soon. Take care. Thank you.